Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Everybody, this is Helen from Helen's Wines. This is Wine Face. We are in the studio today with two people that I recently met, and by recently I mean roughly six months ago. <laughs> but man, does it feel like I've known them for a lifetime. You know when you meet people and it's just like, oh wow, you're people I actually want to talk to and hang out with. You get me. <laughs> or like Jerry Maguire, like you complete me, but not in the Jerry. <laughs> Well, we're, they're laughing and I'm laughing, but this is Wine Face. And today on the program, we have Miss Daryl Noon and Mr. Zev Rovine. Hi, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, Helen. Hey, Helen. Welcome to Wine Face and Los Angeles. We're in Los Angeles today. Uh, just to give you a brief intro, maybe I'll give an intro to you and then you can intro yourself. Maybe that's a little fucked up. I don't know. But uh, I met Zev and Daryl because Zev is a wine importer extraordinaire, and Daryl is an extremely talented sommelier, and we were all in Sicily together, and that shit was crazy. It was like a saving grace. I like landed, didn't know anyone, then was like, oh, you guys are dope. Okay, cool. We good. (laughs) Can you please introduce yourselves? Daryl, let me start with you. I'm (laughs) Daryl. Hi, Daryl. Hi. Um, I run the wine program at a restaurant called Gem in New York, in the Lower East Side. Ooh, Jemmy. <laughs> Jamilio Estevez. <laughs> God. Um, and it's a 12-course tasting menu with 12 seats, and we work with only natural wine and, coincidentally, a lot of Zev Rovine and only 2012s, right? <laughs> only 2012s in our 12 seat, 12 course tasting menu. And we only talk in sets of 12 words. Concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And who's the chef of Gem? His name is Flynn McGarry. The child prodigy. The child prodigy. He has been cooking since I think like the age of two. Two years um, old. Came out with a spoon in his hand. Yeah. It's difficult for Tweezers. his mom. <laughs> Tweezers. 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 <laughs> Tweezers. Um, and he is 19 years old now. Um, and he's very talented and gives me full autonomy to be really creative with the pairings. And, you know, he tastes... But he, he kind of lets me take the reins on it, and it's been a really fun job. 
Yeah. Well, he isn't 21, so. He's going to open a bar for his 21st birthday. <laughs> he spits for the record. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know, guys. Let's keep it street legal. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's really cool. As I know, and as if you've listened to OG Pairings, a previous episode of Wine Face, pairings aren't always so easy. Mm. And they're pretty awesome mm. when you kind of hit those notes, right? So we're going to dig into that. And Zev, who are you, Zev? Mm. Um, I'm Zev. Who are you? Yeah. Hi, Zev. Hi, Um, so I've been working in wine for, you know, most of my adult life and, um, I started a wine import company, uh, it'll be 10 years ago in December. Um, let's have a party. I were, yeah, Yeah. uh, we need to have a party. Uh, we need to have a couple parties. Yeah. I think. Sicily. This is another (laughs) Sicily part two. Yeah. Um, and we've been specializing on natural wine for most of that period of time. We started sort of as a regular conventional wine company and sort of quickly discovered natural wine and changed course. Um, Like within the first year or two? Within the first year or two. Mm. Um, What was that aha moment for you? There was a big series of them. You know, it's a combination of things I saw. You know, I saw a a guy in a vineyard with a a full uh, hazmat suit, which was like sort of a strange looking thing to me. And it seemed like... That's not the right way to make wine. Crazy. What was he doing in that hazmat suit? He was walking behind what looked like a shopping cart. It was just spraying chemicals on everything. So it seemed like, you know, that shouldn't be in the wine. No. It's sort of like a basic thing. Um, you know, there's also the practicality of it. When I started, it was just me and didn't have a lot of money. We were really small and I couldn't, you know, go approach a big winery, big conventional winery and try to like take them away from like Southern or Skernick or, you know, some big company. Um, so little tiny wineries were, you know, more my thing. Um, and I was just sort of attracted to the whole movement. I was attracted to the culture of natural wine. I was attracted to the people who were involved in it. I was interested in the way they tasted. You know, at the time, I think there was, uh, they were a little more rocky than they are today. Mm. You know, there's still a lot of rocky natural wine out there. Um, but like most of it was then. Some cliffhangers for sure. Yeah. <laughs> rocky. rocky. Balboa. <laughs> Sometimes Balboa. Sometimes Balboa. Sometimes just like a gravel pit. (laughs) So what was, one last question about starting out. Starting out is always really hard. I've been there. We've all been there. Not importing for me, but, um, you know, exporting my ideas. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You like what I did there? Um, What was the first, like, natural wine producer that you picked up, and are they still with you? Um, yeah, they are still with us. Uh, on our on our very first trip uh, uh, to France to find wine, we picked up three wineries. We still work with all three of them. Um, Roche Buisière mm-hmm. is one of them. My fave. Amazing wine. Best rosé. Best. I love it so much. Ah, the premise. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Matin Calme in the Roussillon, mm. which is a really funny little winery. Um, you know, three and a half hectare, super old vines. And then we also picked up this uh, Jura wine called Cave Jean Bourdi, which is, you know, not really like stylistically natural, but in fact, like the process is very natural. Um, I think we get confused by those things often. Um, and those were the three, and we, we work with every one of them today. Now, let me ask you each in your own words. Mm. Uh, slight pivot, but also I get asked this a lot. We've defined it many times on this cast, potty cast. What is natural wine? One to two sentences. Daryl, go. I think it starts with the winemaker and the, the soil. I mm. um, think that not adding anything to the soil to make things grow and just watching the earth and letting thing hap- 
things happen in a natural way. Uh, I would say wild yeast fermentation is Mm. really important. Um, And then just like not adding stuff to your wine, right? Like not taking things away from it, but also just like not adding flavorings, adding acid, adding sugar. Mm. I find that to be, it's a really big question, but just like not fucking with it. Do your guests ask you a lot? It's interesting. We get a an older crowd at Gem. Um, we do two seatings, and the six o'clock seating is they're used to more like big name conventional wines, and the we don't really have a lot of that. Mm. Uh, and we try to get keep less and less of that on the menu, um, and so they're really excited by it, and they also don't really understand what it is. And if they do the pairing, then, you know, they get taken on this journey of, like, hearing all of the winemakers' stories. And at the end, they come out of it being, like, I just had no idea that wine was made with, you know, fining agents mm. in it. So so it's like your pairing could be likened to, like, they're 12 and it's their first time at Six Flags Great Adventure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they get taken on the ride. Batman forever. <laughs> There's no don't, bottom. Don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, Zev, is there like a succinct sentence you give people? I think people are also always grasping for definition, even though to me natural wine is a little undefinable. It is also very definable. Um, Yeah, no, I I have a quick one that I usually use, which is uh, wine made from organic or biodynamic grapes, uh, fermented uh, without any additives, um, with the exception of sulfur, and sulfur being, you know, limited to something like 30 or 40 milligrams per liter in terms of addition. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Yeah. You know, it could be, for me, like, it's that simple. All this stuff, Daryl added a lot of nice stuff, though. There, there's a cultural element to it in in addition. Yes. You know, there's like there's like an agro-political type of attitude to it that's sort of a pushback against big conventional wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's an aspect to it, but the, the bare bones of the reality of it is, you know, organic grapes and fermentations without additives. I think someone said, like, there's a really nice thing, which is just, like, nothing added, nothing taken away. Mm. I don't know who said that. But Sounds like a, maybe it could be a haiku. We could work on yeah, it. Yeah, or, like, on, on a tote bag. <laughs> is that 575 or 757 yeah. for a haiku? 757. 757. No. 575. Five, five. Nothing added. <laughs> nothing added. <laughs> We're going to work on that haiku and the natural wine haiku coming. I see you writing it down. <laughs> Wine haiku. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool, guys. Uh, so I pick three wines that Zev imports. Uh, two producers, uh, one producer I've met and visited, not with Zev and Daryl. I haven't been. Well, we're going to get to that Burgundy trip in a moment. Um, but And two that I have not visited that I'm sort of really curious about and a lot of my customers like go wild for. Um, but before Zev, we opened the uh, Ateneus Beru's uh Chablis from a little parcel Cota Pret, which Zev could probably speak better to than I can at Chateau Beru. Uh, she's amazing. She's the so queen. cool. She really is a queen. She's totally the queen. Uh, but before we get to Burgundy, how did the two of you meet? <laughs> we met at a wine show. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually pouring Chateau de Beru behind a table. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, kismet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also kind of kismet. Um, the wine that 
made me fall in love with natural wine is Jean-Pierre Robineau, which we later found out Zev was the importer of. So cheers, Zev. So you guys crack, you have a vast collection of Robineau wine. <laughs> we do have a vast yeah. In your love chamber. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so I didn't leave with the fact that these two are a lovely power couple in wine in Nueva York, but I thought maybe I would tell the people that because you recently were in Burgundy, mm-hmm. which is in France. Yes, it is. Uh, you were in other it's parts of France? No? Uh, it's all yeah, true. No, we, were, we were also in Jura. We did a, little, a couple days in Burgundy, a couple days in Jura, and then a couple days in Paris. How oh, I love Paris. Paris is so great. So Burgundy is really rad, and I think a lot of people think it's like super staunch, unattainable. It's this highbrow wine. A lot of it can be seen as traditionally being made, steeped in tradition. Maybe some is made with a little bit of too conventional winemaking. But you have a um, Chateau de Beru with Ateneus Beru. You guys visited. What can capture a vibe for me? I mean, my vibe when I went there, I was like, holy shit. I'm, it's like I'm in a magazine for the best, like, El Decor. <laughs> She's got this bomb-ass, like, courtyard in the middle, va- vast square-shaped chateau. Cute dogs, oh, dogs. Gorgeous vineyards. She's beautiful and so intensely fierce. Yeah. What's a visit like when you're, like, Zev Rovine, you're importing? How long have you been working with her? What's the experience like? Because it's very different than, say... Jane Maurice Frank <laughs> or Jane Doe <laughs> going to visit Ateneus. Is there a, a quote unquote red carpet? Um, he gets a red carpet. Don't lie. One thing is that she's just a good friend. Yeah. You know, so she has a beautiful house and she loves to share it with people and she is a great cook and, yeah. you know, she's going to open all the bottles you want and, um, you know, the way she would be treated when she's at my house or in New York or whatever. She's just a super close friend. So um, so that's a really nice experience. Um, but, you know, oftentimes when I'm visiting wineries that, you know, as an importer, um, with, there's a big meal involved, but there's also barrel tasting and there's yeah. also some, like, old vintage bottle tasting and there's mm. also, you know, discussion of the current vintage and discussion of, you know, the, the practicalities of the fact that they have wine to sell and that I'm there to buy it. Mm. Um, right, like there's a slice of business mixed in with a lot of like yeah, but friendship and pleasure. Right. Totally. Over a really long lunch. Over really long lunches, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's kind of amazing because what I tell a lot of people, they're always like, how do I know what's in the wine or how do I know what wine to buy? And I always say like you need to start being directed by the importers and mm-hmm. the distributors or like the first seal of approval. So mm-hmm. on the back of all your wines, it says like Zev Rovine Selections. And so that's one importer that you can look for on the back. Um, so to me, it's such an interesting process of like you're you. How did you meet her? Um, I met Etienne de Beru at a at a trade show in Montpellier, a long time ago, and she had another importer, and I just kept visiting her and I kept tasting with her, and like every year I would come see her. And I think it took four years before she hmm. decided to like you know or things weren't going well with the other importer, and so. Um, she's really close friends with Vanya Filipovich, who mm. you know, and we're doing a fun dinner with tonight. Yeah, um, and, and I asked Vanya to like, you know, work on my side and push Etenaeus to work with me, and so I, I worked all the angles of every way that I could, and I followed up year after year after year, um, and she finally accepted. 
<laughs> and so, you know, for me, when you have a, a relationship, as a wine importer, when you have a relationship with a winery, it's not, you know, we went to the winery, we bought some wine one time, you know, and that's a, that was a great thing. The idea is that we're going to be working together for years and years and years. Um, so if I don't like the huge majority of the wines they make, we won't work with them. If they don't like me or our vibe, like it's a, it's a really close relationship. It's friendship. It's yeah. friendship, and it's it's also like the reliability of like their ability to make their wine and know that they're going to sell it year after year. Yeah. Um, so we have to be reliable for them. We have to be, you know, we have to take the quantities that they need. You know, we're we're the importer of the United States. It's one of the biggest markets in the world, and so when winemakers have their American importer, it's really important to them for for that importer to be reliable and to pay on time and to buy good quantities and it requires to do everything. a lot of trust. Yeah. On both sides. So you're the only importer for wines in the United States? There is another importer in Oregon. Mm. Um, I'm the importer for all the other states. Whoa. Okay. Very cool. Expansive. Badass. Nationwide. Nationwide. Is on your side. <laughs> Actually on Ateneus' side. Yeah. Um, how would you describe this expression of Chardonnay, right? So we're drinking 2015 Chateau de Baru. Before we move on to the vine number two, how would you describe it? I mean, it's I get all the time. I hate Chardonnay. I don't like Chardonnay. What would be your ideal pairing? Um, I mean, I don't. I'm not a great guy with the pairing. I don't kind of believe in pairing so much. He's <laughs> not a guy with the pairing. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as this wine goes, it's pretty unique in Chablis in that it's uh, one of the very, very few wines made without additives, so there's a no sulfur at all cuvee. Um, she doesn't do that for every cuvee; she only does it when the oxygen balance and everything is in really good shape. So it's rare, you know, maybe one wine per vintage, um, and not even always each vintage there will be a no sulfur wine. So that's really cool. Um, I mean, the the other thing that is really different about this Chablis and others to me. Um, is first off, there are very, very few organic vineyards in Chablis. Mm. Um, there's more chemicals used there than pretty much anywhere. Why is that? Um, I think that the more famous the wine appellation, the less incentivized you are to work organically and to make wine without additives because you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You can make pretty low quality Chablis and any, everybody's going to buy it because, because the, the name, name sells itself. Because yeah. there's probably some like big culty houses that we will not mention but we could maybe some start with an r and <laughs> end with a u but babano who knows yeah. um right that don't farm organically yeah um you know it's this is kind of a crazy thing and i'm not trying to put down other no, producers no, no. but you know there's a there's a um there's a yield limit in chablis like in oh, yeah, every so wine appellation um in france it's 70 hectoliters per hectare you're not allowed to take more than that um, but the way the conventional farming is in Chablis, this year was a very good vintage. It was a very plentiful vintage. Um, and most people got 240 hectoliters per hectare. So their vineyards naturally produced way, way more, not naturally, because of the chemicals that they're adding and because of the way they're pruning, uh, produced way too much grapes. Huh. And so what they did, and the law is, that they have to leave the grapes on the ground. So What? Yeah. The excess grapes. Yeah, yeah. The excess grapes. They so just put them on the ground. There's, like we were there, there's mountains of, of grapes. grapes. And they just can't use it. They're not allowed to use it or they can't call the other wine they make Chablis. That's crazy. So, so they crazy. can't even like sell those grapes no. to another part of France or Negociant. Nope. 
Seems so wasteful. Yeah. Well, it's wasteful, but it's also the the idea of the protection of 70 hectoliters per hectare was we reduce our yields to have a better quality wine. The truth of the farming ah. is that they harvested at 240. So you can see the people who are like kind of steroid pumping their mm-hmm. vines. Absolutely. And because of the big yields, the acid levels were low and the sugar levels were low. So they had to acidify the wines and they had to capitalize the wines. So crazy, that's right? crazy. And that's the way that Chablis made. So all that like zippy, like when I'm like, when we talk about like, oh, the soil there, there's fossilized seashells. like right. It's blocked Just, mallow yeah. for the most part. <laughs> acid. Is what, what makes the acid so zippy. Mm-hmm. Um, high levels of sulfur is what like the feeling of minerality is. So, you know, the, the thing about this wine is first it goes all the way through malolactic fermentation. Um, as wines without sulfur added do, just naturally. So it's really different than a lot of Chablis. This is not a zippy acid wine. Mm. For me, this is like a a more rich Mm. Chardonnay, and not through the use of new oak and the kind of thickening qualities that that has, but just through the nature of a wine completely finishing because there's nothing added to it to stop the fermentation. It's its own natural expression. Right. Man, that must have been a trip seeing those piles of grapes. It's crazy. I can't even imagine. I mean, does someone like Ateneus feel embarrassment for the other farmers? Or my experience in like, especially Burgundy, you're I'm with a I've been with like a, a vigneron, and they are using organic farming, and then like their neighbor right next door looks like it got a bikini wax. Like mm. it's totally. just like looks super, like a tennis court. Yeah, like super white sprayed. Like everything looks very sterile, so it goes from like kind of wild to sterile. And I'm like, doesn't it bother you? Like. And there seems to be this sort of laissez-faire, like it does on some level, but they have a very much like to each their own mentality. Also, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Are you going to go into their vineyard and yell at them every day and like get really upset and knock on their door? And, you know, I've seen uh, I've seen conventional farmers spray chemicals on their organic neighbors vines (gasps) because they're doing them a favor. They think they're doing them because they said, oh, man, your weeds are out of control. Just so you know, I like zip them for you. Oh, man. You know, and they're and, expecting like a thank you. Right, right, they're totally expecting a thank you. Like there's a there's a culturally different approach when somebody, especially in Europe, I think, when somebody's working organically versus somebody that's not. It's not that these are bad people. You know, they just aren't like. Um, well, there's a lot of money at stake, right? Like for some people, they're like, I need to know that I'm going to get X, Y, and Z. And, and it's just the how control, they learned like a to do it. It's, yeah. it's how they've always been taught to do it. And and they're, you know, people come to their winery all the time who are chemical salesmen who say, I have this great new chemical. This is going to save you time. This is going to save you money and gas running through the vines. This is going to be, you know, this is going to prove the quality of your grapes. And so, the you know, the, the industry at large um, pushes these people into making decisions that they think are making better wine for them. Hmm. Um, I, I don't, like, I think the idea that, like, the people who are farming conventionally are evil and the people who are farming organically are like these angels. It's, no, not, it's just yes. like not the way it is. Every Most people are trying to make good wine. Um, and they're not just cutting corners for money. They're they're, they're just kind of led di- down a path by the way Monsanto leads people, you know, farmers down a path. And once they're down it, it's very hard to get back off of it. They're kind of in a hole. They're kind of in it. It's like they're in a contract with Purdue. Yeah. They just wanted to be a chicken farmer. Now they're like, oh shit. Right. Now now we have to make it this way and do all this stuff. Now I have to have an enclosed house full of chickens. Right. It's depressing and they can't walk. (laughs) Um, That was depressing. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you this question for both of you. So Daryl, I'm sure you've had this experience like for me as a buyer of and then reselling it to the customer. A lot of times people are like, but how do you know if you've never been? And I always go back to the importer Mm -hmm. and on some level what I never say is that like some 
people I've never visited them I don't really know for myself like I'm taking people's word on a certain thing have you ever had the experience where maybe you were gonna import someone has anyone ever like misrepresented what they're doing and is there a way like maybe you have more of a trained eye or have you ever been in their cell and you're like oh snapdragons this something's a rift no, <laughs> maybe. No, no, no. There is. There's. There's ways of asking things that, that I've developed over the years, and that you know, that aren't so obvious. You know, if you suspect somebody's adding yeast to a wine, you know, which is something that we prefer not to buy wines like that. You know, I, I could ask like, oh, what type of yeast are you using? As right. opposed to, do you add yeast? Mm. And sort of like letting somebody know that I'm, you know, I have a preference. Right. Um, you know, we work with certified organic producers. Yeah. yeah um, so that sort of like cleans up the ambiguity of whether or not somebody's sustainable, which I think is pretty much a bullshit term yeah. all the time. Even if like they can't afford the organic certification? That's I, that's a lie. Crock of shit. It's okay. Crock of shit. We're myth busting um, here. <laughs> the organic <laughs> certification it. is just not expensive. Um, in, in the European Union, they uh, give you a tax credit to be certified organic, the certification is less money than you get on your tax credit. The The reality is, is that it's much more expensive to work organically. Mm. Uh, the actual working in the vines is more labor intensive. Um, so that costs more money. Uh, the certification is not. So people say that all the time. It's a lie. Um, and, you know, I, people say sustainable. I think it's very hard in today's climate in a, like, a, cool market like LA or New York or Chicago or something for a sales rep to go in and you know not say something about the wine being sort of organic yeah so everybody uses this word sustainable which doesn't mean anything there's no control over the word there's no like definition to yeah. it um, you know it's like small production right which also is stupid you Very could have vague. a small production Super wine vague. that's like full of ton of shit and yeah. you know I feel like we had one on Pantelleria when we went to that place where we, we, we totally bought those did. spreads and it was like oh yeah and the, and it was just such a bizarro because it was like they made basically no wine but you could tell that the wine was so heavily manipulated on so many different levels that yeah they're super yeah. okay so they're a tiny family producer absolutely it's still full of chemicals yeah, yeah. um Pentelaria, for those of you who don't know, is a dreamy island off the coast of Sicily. Oh you can take the slow boat, which we took an overnight slow boat. It was very slow. It was very slow. It took about six to eight hours. But then we woke up in paradise. <coughs> we did. And we were all happy about it. And then we took the boat back. But to that... People were less happy about yes. it. For that question, Darryl. I think it's also, you know, like when we are kind of spieling people on the pairing, we tell them that it's, you know, all natural wines and also small producers. And when people when reps come in and want to taste I find that not only are we trying to work with like small families but we're also trying to work with small importing companies because then you can develop a better relationship with them and sort of trust that the importer that you're working with does go out and meet these people and then can come back to you and come back to their reps and you know like uh, Zev is really really good friends with Ateneus you know like I don't know that the larger importing companies have the sort of relationships or or can have those sorts of relationships because they just have so many people in their books and so it's not just important for me as a buyer to you know represent these families but also to like know that I'm also helping out like small importing companies and trust that like their relationships with their winemakers are honest yes and we're lucky to have many great small importers oh my gosh around. Yeah. yeah, I feel so. I mean, living in LA ten years ago, I was like, 
kind of a desert. Yeah. And now, I mean, there were a lot of small importers, but just not the wine you wanted. Right. And now we have like a plethora. It's such a gift. I mean, especially like you couldn't get your wines out here. Uh, Zevrovine expanded out to the West Coast. We couldn't get a lot of them for, we could get some once Amy came like six or seven years ago. But before that, they were not here. And you got Aaron. And, and we got Aaron. Sylvester, Aaron's, you know, killing Sylvester it. Rovine. Killing Sylvester it. Slaying it. Okay, so I'm going to pour the Lamidia next. The Roche. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Be free. Um, be, <laughs> be free. So I'm pouring uh, the Lamidia. It has a handprint on it. If you haven't seen it, it's Lamidia. <laughs> Rhymes with chlamydia. I know. People are always just like, really? That's the name? I've got a bad case of chlamydia. (laughs) Um, This wine sells itself, I would say, in the shop just because of the packaging. But this is Montepulciano. Mm -hmm. But it's made partially carbonic. Or can you tell me, tell us a little bit about chlamydia. I had to leave before we were all in Italy earlier this year. And I could not go to Lamidia because I got chlamydia. No, I'm just kidding. The joke is so bad. I didn't. I'm not. As, I'm very healthy. Clean bill. But I'm also taken. So it doesn't matter if I'm healthy or not. <laughs> and moving on. So Lamidia. Um, I think there's actually there's some Trebbiano in this as well. Ooh, this is like yeah. this, this like new movement. I, I looked it up on our website. And Trebbiano is a white ago, skin grape. Which is a white skin grape. And so there's like this kind of interesting movement that's gone on in natural wine. You see it all over the place now. Who, people who co-macerate yeah, white and red grapes to kind of, if you're in a hot region where, you know, you I would either would have to pick your red grapes underripe to have a lot of acidity and freshness. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're picking them not phenolically ripe. Um, the alternative option is to just put white grapes in it. Um, and you can pick them phenolically ripe, and you still can have some freshness and give acidity and lift. lightness, and give it some lift. So I think. And that they're that's co-fermenting. They're co. They're co-macerating and co-fermenting. Ooh. Exciting times. So it's kind of like there's a little orange wine in it. Mm. In fact, what is the yeah? Because if you let Trebbiano macerate and ferment like as long as a red wine, it would be a skin contact white wine, aka orange wine what is the mantra of lamidia like what is what is this ethos is it like could you capture their vibe in an in they're a s- wild wild they're wild boys they're beautiful <laughs> sorry beautiful they're wild boys beautiful wild boys are they brothers no they're they're best friends i think that they met when they were in elementary school and they both have like day jobs hmm. you know they they still have day jobs yeah and their vineyards are on like a really steep slope. Um, and they were showing us this one that was just, do you remember the one that was just like totally overgrown with all sorts of different plants and they hadn't sprayed anything on it at all. They were just like letting everything be completely untrained. And I don't think that they were making any wine from it yet, but it was, it's like a, you know, you go to a place like Ateneus and visit her and everything is in its right place. And the wines also taste like everything is in its right place. And the Lamedia wines have this sort of like wild vibe to them. Which I think kind of brings me to an important point that I also point out to people all the time about natural wine is that it can be wild and it can also be tame. Like it doesn't Mm. have to be some like fucked up cloudy thing Mm. that you're not sure if you want to drink it or tastes like kombucha, which I like... And if, you like, and if you like that kind of thing, like, cool it's too. there. Yeah. Like, you can go have it. Yeah. 
I think I think when you don't like uh, really edit wines with you know filtration, correcting their alcohol so that every wine's thirteen percent, you know, so that every wine is like the you know white or red or you know defined by like its standard color and shape and size, um, they become like expressions of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like Daryl says, like these boys are kind of wild, like they're sort of like nutty guys. And you go to the winery <laughs> and it's like there's sort of stuff a little bit all over and, and the wines are a little bit that way, you know, and in, in, in some ways that's really exciting, like they're fun and yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're, they're wild and they're neat and some of the wines are like not in the right place, you know, some of the wines need some time to age, some of the wines might never get out of a state of being not right. Um, Drink well, cold. We, we just put this on the shelf. We probably received them months ago, mm. but we put the... Roche Carbo, the fully carbonic yeah. on the shelf. But when I tasted the Roche, I was like, this is not right. And tastes tasting so it today. now, it tastes so mm-hmm. good. It's like, yeah. it's everything you want it to be for kind of like a, not not juicier and full, but like it's this like bright Montepulciano mm-hmm. with a little Trebbiano kickback. Like Kung Fu, Kenny, Trebbiano. Hey, and that's part of our responsibility as like uh, wholesalers and retailers and restaurants is to like, Especially if we're dealing with natural wine, if you're good at it, you taste the wine, you say, okay, it's not good right now. Like we'll wait a couple months and, you know, reopen it and we'll serve it to our customers when it's, when it's right. Like that's, that's our job to nurture these wines to the market properly. Do you guys have, uh, could you call out one of the most misunderstood wine buzzwords? I have a few that I think are misunderstood by the consumer. Like when people are like, I hate this or I love that. Like for Mm. me, like. All right, mouse, right, mm. is a good one for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's a misunderstood buzzword mm. that I don't know if sommeliers truly understand it. I don't even know if I really understand how it appears, why it goes away, like everything. We have this conversation all the time. I mean, nobody, I, nobody knows. There's nobody, no, there's no like. And why some people like it, why some people can't taste it is amazing. Really? Totally yeah. weird thing. So it's like cilantro. Yeah. It's like the cilantro Some syndrome. Some people are just super sensitive to it and just I'm hate so it with sensitive. a passion. Oh. I really hate it. Oh. I don't like it either. But, but I like it when it goes away because the wines then come I've out. Had, I've had so many amazing wines that were mousy at a certain point. Yeah. And you wait a little bit and, you know, they're incredible. And then the mouse comes back later and then it yeah. goes away. And, you know, that's that's like that's a thing. What would How would you describe mouse? Because people don't know what we're talking about necessarily. It's like... To me, this is it. Oh, it feels like a crestfallen moment always to me. Mouse. So I take a smell of wine and I'm like, ooh, so and then good. I take a sip and I'm like, wow. So and then all of a sudden, it's like Creeps a little mouse in. comes out of its house, yeah. and then you're forced to like lick its back into your mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's literally like baby dragon breath. Some oh, people it, say that. So oh, that Alice firing baby puppy baby puppy breath oh puppy breath that's what she says yeah i don't have a lot of experience of puppies breathing into my face um (laughs) i guess i would like more yeah let's get to a pet shop now but like in terms of taste anyway um i find so mouse is something that happens right like when you breathe out it's this retro nasal thing uh and it to me a really good friend of mine once like said that it reminded her of Frito chips. Hmm. There's this like corn, like Ooh, yes. corn aspect to it. Um, and it completely takes it like takes away the fruit. And it's, it is a really hard thing to describe, but there's something like dead and like, like it's the opposite of fruit. 
It's like the you inside know. of a vacuum bag. Oh, it's so, so. And some people are really sensitive to it. And some people also think that that's what natural wine is. They like love that. You that's know? what I feel like is a misunderstood buzzword. Yeah. Mm. Like, they're like, oh, pro mouse. I'm just like, nah, nah, nah dude. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never met a winemaker who was happy that their wine was mousy. No. <laughs> Every single one is bummed out by it and doesn't yeah. know what it is and wish it wasn't there. Everyone I've ever talked to. Um, so I, it's not the intention, but it is like a byproduct of choosing to make wine without sulfur. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the thing, for me, the thing about no sulfur wine is when they're made well and it comes out right it's the best expression of wine mm -hmm. you know it's so much softer on your palate like the wines are so much more expressive um, but there's a risk that comes with it and sometimes wines get mousy and some wine times wines get VA mm -hmm. um, just explain what VA is mm -hmm. VA volatile acidity it's the it's the compound that turns wine into vinegar mm. um, so you know wine is always on its way into vinegar um, all wines have a certain amount of VA uh, it's pretty undetectable at the rates of like 40, 50, 60 milligrams per liter. Um, once you get to like 70, 80, you start to taste it, smell it. Um, once it gets over 100, it can smell like a nail polish remover, mm. ethyl yep. acetate. Um, and it can take over wine. But um, it, VA doesn't go away as like it doesn't operate the same way mouse does. Or do you feel that it does? In it your doesn't. Experience? In fact, it doesn't like go away, but it does integrate in the wine in time. Um you know, that there's a lot of, I think a lot of wines, it really helps. Um, mm -hmm. First off, it doesn't hurt you. A little bit of vinegar is like, yeah. it's good for you. Brags um, every day. Just yeah. a shot of apple cider. <laughs> totally. Um, but like in, like, for example, I think in a lot of natural wines from Spain, right? It's a really hot climate. A lot of the red wines are alcoholic and thick. Um, some volatile acidity in them freshens them up, mm -hmm. makes them a little lighter and easier to drink. I know a lot of Spanish producers who want to have a certain amount of VA in their wine because it makes them fresher. Um, so it depends on the, the wine. Sometimes VA integrates well in a wine, and sometimes it's disjointed and it's too much and it's very noticeable, and it, it makes the wine not good. Um, it's, it's another one of these like risk-reward things that you have in natural winemaking. Ah, I love it. Okay, third wine. Ooh. Okay, so the Lamidia is magical. We have a couple of bottles left. Super affordable also for what it is. Like They they undercharge for their wine. Mm. Yeah. I, I hope they're not listening. Um, listen, though. Be so dope. Come to LA. Be a guest. Uh pas mon chien, right? Uh, you're not my dog? Uh, it is not my dog. It is not my dog. So this is made by Anders Frederick Steen. Uh, exactly. Can you tell me? So I don't... I, Give us the 411 on Anders and his wines, just like a a brief, a briefing. I would like a presidential briefing on Anders. Sure. Uh, Anders is from Copenhagen, born and raised. Um, and if you kind of followed what they've done in Copenhagen around Noma, um, it was it's really one of the Ooh. first major markets for natural wine in the world. Um, there in Japan, I think we're really like the most... Uh, progressive natural wine markets that there were and he worked at Noma he was a sommelier at Noma um, and then he was one of the founders of a restaurant called Relay um, which is a really cool wine bar restaurant um, and then at a certain point he decided that uh, he wanted to make wine and you know you definitely see a lot of sommeliers in today's world kind of like having a wine project on the side some label they make or they sort of make or they have somebody make for them or whatever their side um, piece their mm -hmm. side people piece. ask me all the time when i'm going to make wine mm -hmm. i was like uh, when i decide I to quit my job and be a farmer right <laughs> which is which is what he did 
So he yeah. moved to, he moved to Ardesh. Cool. Quit his job, um, sold his stake in his restaurant, um, moved to Ardesh and uh, worked with a, a winery called Le Mazel in this in this village in Ardesh, which is the the guy who owns and operates that is the the leader of the movement of natural wine in Ardesh. Um, all all of the Ardesh wine that's natural and cool today is thanks to Gerald Dustrique, the, mm. the owner of Le Mazel. And so he worked with him, and uh, Gerald gave him a little part of his winery where he could make wine inside of it. Um, and then over time, Anders has finally bought some of his own vineyards and is farming all year round and making all the wines himself. He moved his family, his wife and his children there, and uh, he's a winemaker in the Ardèche now. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and this wine is Grenache. He has very simple labels. He doesn't use the same name twice. Is that true? Every year he names them different things or... For the most part, for or the, the most peach part. rose is always yeah, it was freedom named. of peach one freedom. year, and then it was um, I forget what the other ones are. There's a lot of them. It's all good. He's got, got one that's called. He's got one that's called. Please don't throw plastic in the ocean. Yeah, he does oh. keep that yeah. one the same every year. I love that. This wine, Grenache, hundred percent. This is carbonic maceration wine. Um, at least it tastes that way to me. This is a little bit of volatile acidity, as mm-hmm, we were talking mm-hmm. about. You know, this has like a, this is a this is a natural wine in the in the way I think a lot of people perceive it. That certainly the volatile acidity keeps this fresh and light. Would and you it's maybe like call this drink. crunchy? <laughs> <laughs> um, what What does it mean when someone's like, "I would like a crunchy red"? Because I I've it's a new buzzword. Oh, that does happen. Yeah, it's a new buzzword. Yeah, I, I have I don't use crunchy, but I accept when people use it to me. And I like I'm it because like, it's tex- it's textural. It's yeah. not like I, I I hate when people are like you know use like oh it tastes like cranberry or mm. like cassis or whatever. Like it doesn't taste like any of that shit. It tastes cranberry. like grapes. <laughs> tastes like grapes. Tastes like grapes. So you don't like tasting notes in the traditional like master psalm, quarter master psalm sense. They don't they don't make any sense. You're and like this- the only time a wine really does taste like one of those things is if it has a yeast that's designed to taste like one of those things. Like, yeah, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc tastes like, you know... Whoa, that's a thing? Like guava, because mm. there's a guava-flavored yeast. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And disgusting. Disgusting. Um, so what are your favorite ways to describe wine? Like, it's a vibe? It's a feeling? Like, like this like- wine feels like I'm windswept in a scarf. I'm holding... A roasted chicken leg. It's a picnic in the fall. The leaves are on the ground. It's crunchy. <laughs> well, one of Zev's employees, uh, Kresha, talks about... Uh, what up? Shout out, Kresha. <laughs> <laughs> talks about drinking Ateneus' wines as like driving in a Cadillac. Oh, my God. I which love I think that. is just like so but spot say it, on. But say it like Kresha would say it. I can't. God. This wine is like driving a Cadillac. Like you're in a fucking Cadillac. <laughs> Cadillac. <man>. Cadillac, bro. <laughs> I think that... The, you know, I've learned a lot about wine, obviously, through talking with Zev a lot. But something that I find with natural wine, and maybe this is like a little hippy-dippy, but I find that they're alive. You know, Mm. like they taste like they're alive. Living wines. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you can really taste the difference between a wine that has a ton of sulfur added to it versus a wine that doesn't. And so, you know, in like talking to the staff at Gem or talking to my friends who are always asking questions about wine, you know, I try not to use those like flavor profile words, you know, like instead we like talk about flaw a lot or like reduction or mouse or VA and, you know, try and like teach people about those things. But like one word that I do find that I use a lot is they feel very alive. Do you feel like, and 
in closing arguments. No, um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's like a sort of dangerous aspect to like taking flaws. Like I think it's so good that you're explaining them because I feel like one kind of syndrome right now is like trying to spin flaws as being somewhat positive, but actually like they are positive in that it's like this marker of a natural process happening um, or to be appreciated or I, I have my own conflicting thoughts on flaws. Well, I also, like, I love certain flaws, you know? Yeah. Like, I love a little bit of VA, and, like, yeah, I love reduction. Yeah. And when it goes away, it's, like, even better. But, mm-hmm. like, ra- I would rather have a wine that was made in more of a reductive style, because they're protecting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or that That's, like, an intentional one sometimes, you know? When you're not adding sulfur, a lot of people will ferment reductively right. to protect the wine. So is that a flaw, or is that, like... A stylistic uh, Or, like, you're drinking it too soon. Or, right, or is that an idea? Is that, a like, a purpose? Right. And and also, I think if you like the flaws, it's your fucking Drink right. It, yeah, yeah. Like, fucking sure. go for it. Yolo. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. This is America. Yolos have. Yeah, Yolo. Yolo. I learned what that meant very recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I taught my mom what Yolo means. Yeah, it's you only yeah, live but once. I'm, I'm not your mom. I yeah. learned it. I learned it like a year ago, and then wouldn't stop using it. And like Mad Dog was like, um, okay, so like maybe Yolo. Yeah. Bring it in, bring it in. I asked the people cool. in my office if they knew what it was, and they oh. just laughed at me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And wouldn't tell me. <laughs> Urban Dictionary, dude. Urban uh, Dictionary. I learned what that was very Do recently you, also. Oh, I love Urban Dictionary. Um, So great. <laughs> it's just they should have an app. Maybe they do. Uh, One last question is also along those lines. I feel like a lot of people are scared of like the non-ageability of natural wine, and they're just mm-hmm. like, I got it. We got to rip it, consume mm. it. It's all glue, glue. Like, I, we were at Raw yesterday, and, like, I just heard all these people around me being like, glue, 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 glue. Like, yeah. if the collective room was making a noise, it was like, glue, 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 glue. And I was just kind of like, wait, but also there's so many, like, the Schmidt wines, for example, to me, are, like, very representative wines that, like, could definitely, like, there's a lot. Ateneus's wines mm-hmm. could age. I'd be so curious about Lamidia, like, what happens in five years. I don't know, because of the carbo aspect, because it's carbonic. But, you know, maybe the Roche is better, or in one year or two years, not right, so, like 20. So I think what you just sort of referenced there is that, like, first off, every cuvee and every bottling of every wine is different mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, the arc of how they're going to age. Um, some will age really, really well. I think oftentimes if wine's not particularly made well in the beginning, like, it's not going to age very well. I think when they're really, really well made, Natural wines age extremely well. Mm. Um, I find that they age better than conventional wines. I'm obviously super biased on that. Why do you think that? Um, my perception of the way that a, a conventional wine's state is, is once it's sulfured and filtered like... and bottled, is that it's dead. Yeah. And it's in a state of degradation. And that taste of degradation is something that people like. But it's, mm. it's a, you know, that combined with the initial fruit is where like you find the perfectly aged wine in sort of the classical sense. Uh, but they all degradate in the same way. Mm. So when I taste really old, you know, Rioja, really old, Barolo, really old, Burgundy, really old, Bordeaux, when they're at a certain point of old, they kind of meld together pretty closely. Mm. Um, I find that when there's um, still some, um, some lees, in an unfiltered wine, there's always some leaves mm-hmm. in the bottle. Um, dead yeast cells. Dead yeast cells. Mm. That the wine is still kind of evolving. That yeah. it's still exchanging bef- between oxidation and reduction. Because still having least, a conversation. It's still having a conversation. It's still evolving yeah. instead of degradating. And so I find that to be a more interesting evolution. Um, also, 
to my taste, and everybody gets to drink wine whenever the fuck they want, is the other thing. But to my taste, when wine tastes good and it's amazing, just fucking drink it. Yeah. Because so many people overage wines and so yeah. many amazing bottles um, are aged to the point where like all their fruit is gone and they're dead. And that's more of a shame to me than like what people used to complain about in wine, which is infanticide. You know, that you right. drank this wine way too young. Mm. Okay, but it was still fruity and delicious. Yeah. It still you know, tasted good. It. Yeah. it still tasted really good, and I still really enjoyed it. I'd way rather do that than drink it too old uh, when, like, everybody's basically arguing whether or not it's corked. Because, right. like, really right. old wine often tastes like it's Boy. corked. Um, or so. they've had so much wine before that they don't even know what right. it tastes. I also feel like there's a correlation. Now, this is going to be hashtag a little judgy. But... Uh, <laughs> I sometimes feel like there's a correlation between like how in touch you are with your soul and yourself correlates with like how you approach wine and the wines you like to drink and the wines that you like heighten up to a higher place. Um, but that is uh, for maybe Oprah's Super Soul podcast. <laughs> maybe not wine show. face. Maybe, yeah, Oprah, <laughs> let's drink wine. Let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> one last question. They've returned to the Chateau de Beru, Cota Pret. Because Shardy is... Cadillac is fucking comfortable. Shardy, mm. want to take a cruise in the caddy? Zev, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thanks, Helen. Wine face is wine face is a wrap up. Uh, you guys are awesome. I'm really inspired by you both. And it was like, I, I got to say, take it to a personal note. Dim the lights, Michelle. Um, when when I landed in Sicily and went on this trip, like sometimes I feel a little, ali- I, I self-alienate a little from the wine community or I just don't always relate to people as like, oh, we could be friends, not just be like coworkers. Mm. And I feel like this trip was like the first time I was like, oh, I belong to this community. Yeah. Love so you, thank Helen. you. Yeah, I love, love you guys. Oh, all right. Well, thanks for coming. And uh, if you want more info on Zevrovine Selections, uh, just visit Zev- com. Nice. I think it's ZRS Wine. ZR- <laughs> right. Which is also ZRS Wine. But it probably auto autocorrects. All right. ZRS Wines and dot um, com or look for Rovine, Zev, Rovine Selections. What does it say on the back of your bottles? Your Zev Rovine Selections. Zev and wine. Yeah. The internet. And then you get swines and go to Jam in New York. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to have you guys back next Yay. time you're in LA. Thank you. Thanks, uh, for more information on the wines we had today, go to Instagram at Helen's Wines. Go to my website, helenswines.com. Helen's Wines is a little wine shop in the back of John and Vinny's on Fairfax. And this was Wine Face. Yes! Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.